Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Backfire Mancast. We're laughing because we uh, Garrett started the countdown and he started at nine and we're just like <laughs> waiting around for nine seconds. All right. Well, uh, we are back. We have some we have some scheming to do with you guys today um, about an upcoming YouTube video that we're doing. I don't think you really know what this is, Em. Yeah, no, you were telling me that you were going to talk about this, so I'm excited to learn because I know nothing. So I was doing a podcast, actually it was on Halloween. It was just a YouTube live just commenting and somebody was asking something about hunting at like eight or 900 yards or something and training for that. And I said, you know, honestly, I just focus your training on 600 yards and in. And the reason is that I don't know a single shooter on this planet that can make 100% of their shots out to 600 yards. None, zero. I don't know anyone who can do that. And I've shot with a lot of the very best long range shooters on the planet, like literally, you know. And they can't even do it? No, I see them miss all the time out to 600 yards. Um, you know, I shot recently with Eric Cortina. I mean, they're shooting at a thousand yards with F class, but wouldn't exactly be much of a game if they never missed, right? Yeah. And so you miss, it happens, right? And they're very, very good, but. Uh, you, it happens. You miss, and and that's with you know massive competition rifles and every advantage. What I had said in the live stream is from realistic hunting situations. And so, if you're in hunting positions and you're trying to make all of your shots out to 600, it's not going to happen. I shot with one of the uh, one of the guys that has won many of the NRL hunter competitions. He's won. A lot of different ones. He's right up there in nationals, and uh, and NRL Hunter is a perfect perfect example of this because it, you know it's realistic hunting situations. Shots are generally about out to six hundred yards. Sometimes, depending on the match, whatever they'll take one out a little bit further, but most of the shots are in six hundred. And there's no one who cleans a match. You know, makes every single one yeah. of their shots for the whole match. That doesn't yeah. happen. And so when so I was I said this on the on the show and somebody was commenting and his username was Michael the Marine and he said he said I can do it <laughs> nice and uh, I I just kind of you know logged it away but then the next day I thought you know what that's a pretty good idea <laughs> and so we're paying for Michael the Marine to fly out where does he live uh, Omaha Nebraska Omaha I, I haven't even talked to him I I so we're flying this guy out we don't know him from adam i've never spoken to the man um we just were like we're we'll pay for your hotel and airfare just come out and just prove it on camera uh-huh. that you can make 100 shots out of 100 from realistic hunting situations out to 600 yards you talk to him garrett is this guy well yeah tell what us. is he like tell us about i didn't him. talk to him for very long but he seems like a cool guy he seems like a chill guy i mean he didn't sound crazy or anything he just sounded like a regular you know middle-aged middle-aged dude i guess you say middle-aged as if that's old uh well he didn't seem old old maybe 40s you know <laughs> that's not old we're 40 i'm i'm 30 <laughs> I, I didn't am i i'm 38 <laughs> emily's 36 i didn't say he. are was we old. middle-aged i would say mid well let's see what when would you say like you know, guys how long do you expect my life to last 
<laughs> no more than 80 years, <laughs> which would put 40 years old at middle aged. I love it. <laughs> Emily's going to live well past 100. Oh, yeah. He is so incredibly fit. I Your heart is just going to keep ticking. Well, I'll tell you what. I was watching Parks and Rec last night, and uh, there's a part where one guy says that scientists already believe that the first person to live at 150 years old has already been born. I've I've heard that. Wow. It's, on the, you, Emily. it's probably me. It's it, probably me. Okay, honestly, it's going to be Emily. Like <laughs> she is she does the the hit training like what's the dude Sean T? Uh, workout DVDs. He's my secret man crush. She does like an <laughs> hour, he's gay. <laughs> That's why it's acceptable because I'm married. <laughs> he uh she does like an hour of it every day and it's just like intense heart hit training. And then all the calories she eats are basically just her vitamins and salad. <laughs> and yeah, she's going to live for 100. So Michael Marine. Michael the Marine. Does he measure up to me? I mean, he thinks he's pretty accurate with a gun. I don't so know if he's confident. as healthy as I don't me. know. <laughs> anyway, so we're, we're scheming on this podcast because we're going to kind of prepare how we're going to how we're going to trip up Michael the Marine. We're this really is- glad that he accepted coming because this will make for a fun video i hope he's a really cool dude because it could be a super fun video it could also be really awkward if he's just not a fun person to be with (laughs) but he accepted the challenge you would think that he would i like i like somebody who's up for fun so anyway i'm probably gonna like this guy yeah when is he coming then um so he's coming in two weeks february 20th or something like that and then we'll have the video out probably a week later so probably by the end of february you guys are going to see how this plays out and you're going to give him 100 shots and have him shoot at 100 at the same target at 600 yards and see if he gets so here's our plan so i measured a i measured when i killed a white deal white tailed deer in texas the size of the vitals you know, the heart and the lung area. Okay. Because everybody always just throws out numbers, how big the vitals are. And I wanted to know for real. And I think we talked about this on the podcast. The size was eight inches tall and nine inches wide. And so I've got to think that's pretty close to a milk jug. Okay. Right. And so my thought is we use a milk jug as our target and it's very binary. You know, you hit it or didn't hit it. Either there's a hole in the milk jug and water flies out or there isn't. Mm-hmm. And we should be able to see that okay on camera most of the time. Sometimes you might just, you know, wing it or something. And, you know, we'll have to go inspect. But I think it should be pretty obvious whether it's a hit or not. Only thing I was a little bit worried about using milk jugs is we could get splatter. You know, you could hit, if you hit low, you're going to hit a rock and it's going to fly up and hit the jug. And so we may need to like, you know, prop it up on a stick or something like that. But it wouldn't hit, make a hole in the jug if you did that. Yeah. If, I've, if you hit a rock, the rocks will fly up fast. Okay. You're going to set up a hundred milk jugs at 600 yards and he's just going to go bam, 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 bam. Well, that'd be pretty fun. That would be fun. Like I kind of want to do that just because <laughs> I want to shoot at those. <laughs> <laughs> So I said in realistic hunting situations in the in the YouTube live, and so we'll set them up at just different ranges. And actually, that would be just a little something to add on there. So we're talking about ways that we're going to trip him up. And, you know, like, hey, if he can do it, awesome. Like, I don't want to stack Oh, the deck. I want to see him succeed. If he, I mean, it, you know, if I'm wrong and he can do it, I mean, fantastic. He should probably go into a match because he's going to win them all. But 
fantastic i mean really i mean that would just be really cool to see and honestly it'd be a sweet story for youtube and so i don't know when i say set them up i'm not talking about make you know, stacking the deck i'm talking yeah. about let's let's make sure this happens right uh-huh so a few things that i would that i want to set up as we're doing it is one if we put the milk jug on the ground we get stuff splattered up so i want to make sure that doesn't happen but also animals are standing right they're not laying on the ground generally when you're shooting them and so that can make it really very, very difficult to get a correct range when you're using a rangefinder. So, like, let's say there are like some rolling hills or whatever, just little ripples in the in the ground, right? If a deer's standing at on top of one of those little ripples, if you use the rangefinder and try to hit the deer mm-hmm. exactly perfect, if you were one millimeter off the deer and that laser went past it, you may be on the ripple way behind it, and so you may have ranged you know, 420 yards and it's actually, f- or, or you may have ranged 520 and it's really 420. If the range, if the little laser focused on something behind the deer. Right. If it's, if it's like at the top of a little rise mm-hmm. and you tried to hit the deer exactly, you might've got past it and you got the incorrect range. Huh. I didn't know that was possible. Yeah. Uh, it's actually kind of hard especially if you're using one of the little handheld rangefinders uh, i really like using the rangefinders in binoculars because then it's magnified 10 times and you can see more particularly where you're aiming mm-hmm. the the laser but getting a correct range can be honestly very very difficult uh, a lot of times and for example the nrl hunter example uh, that i was talking about earlier i was doing a long range training on nrl hunter and i i probably missed maybe five targets that week that was that that i shot felt like a good shot i knew i'd called the wind right you know there was just no wind or anything and i just missed and i was like what the heck and i didn't even see the signature of where i hit and then I, after the time ended and I looked back at it, uh, that was it. I, I had ranged incorrectly. Hmm. And so that is a big one. So anyway, well, he's going to have to range different places. Then will he have to be in different positions? Yes, definitely. So, so like kneeling, laying down. Yeah. So setting some up that are difficult to range, I think is one. Then positions is huge, right? Um, Jim's typing. I'm, ta- I'm taping notes so that we can we can do this. We're really scheming. <laughs> so then the positions is the other one. The positions are tough. The ha- the higher you have to get off the ground, the harder the shot is. You know, if if I if you can get prone, you probably get real darn close to a hundred out of a hundred targets. But if you've got to go to a kneeling position, a standing position, eh, a lot tougher. Is this timed? Yeah, so we need to decide what's fair there in terms of time and positions because a 600-yard standing shot, well, nobody's going to do that. That's right. just, it's unreasonable. <laughs> what? I see a deer. I could just imagine it. Yeah, just stand up and just wing it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we, I want to I wanna create realistic, fair situations. So, but we need definitely need to do some that are you know, maybe with some brush in the foreground where you just can't get prone and you're going to have to go kneeling or, or standing. I don't know what support he's going to bring. Did he mention anything about that, Garrett? Nope. I told him to make sure he had, well, first of all, his gun, obviously a hundred rounds, at least a support and anything else he would take in a hunting situation. So 
Cool. It'll yeah, and that's something I'm sure. I I hope that I hope that he'll you know go legit with the with the hunting situation thing and not show up with you know a, a, a dead sled you know rifle, right rifle something stuff. that's that's yeah. not a hunting anyway so hopefully that well we we uh you we talked about this for a second but and i don't know if you uh are still planning on doing this but you wanted to kind of make a game out of it and roll some dice so you know for the position you could have you know several different positions one through six or whatever and you could roll a dice you know, and whichever one it lands on, that's a position he's got to get into. You roll another dice for time and another one for... How big the target is. Yeah, exactly. Like, because elk vitals are bigger than deer, right? right. And so it'd be kind of cool to, you know, hey, are we doing one milk jug or two? Are yeah. we talking deer vitals or, or elk vitals, you know? Yeah. Um, that might be kind of, Yeah, I like that idea. That sounds fun. I think it sounds really fun. I wondered, though, if that was fair because... Then what if the dice goes to a standing position at 600 yards? Mm-hmm. So I don't know about that one. Huh. Well, maybe it would be nice to have the community's input if they had any ideas. Yeah, just to get that like, would be cool. I don't know, just to just to make it as post and backfire plus to them as possible. Yeah, post and backfire plus if you have feedback on how we should do that because I want it to be fair on both sides. Because again, if you can do it, cool. Uh-huh. Okay, so I think the the first thing that's going to trip him up is set up somewhat somewhere he had to really get a good good range that that we'll find out if he's ranging properly. Mm-hmm. The next is positions. We've just got to get some positions where there's brush, whatever, and he has to shoot from a position that he's got to get up high off the ground that just gets much more challenging. The third thing that I want to test with him is angles, angles, angles. So he's from Nebraska. Oh, it's yeah. It, isn't it flat? I, there? I, I don't know. Are there, I think it's like rolling hills it's in Nebraska. Like yeah. But I've seen, but, uh, we got some angles out here. <laughs> and <clears throat> if you haven't practiced shooting angles, Ooh, baby, is that tough. There, there have been several, uh, of the long range classes that I went to that I saw lifelong, extremely experienced shooters who missed 300 yard shots that it, it just at an angle mm-hmm. a- and, and you shoot it and you look and you're like, how did that happen? Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I shot a foot high. How did that happen well, at 300 yards? Just, just, Oh, you're just your perception of things can vary so much just by looking at it, you know, and having it be completely accurate. Mm-hmm. That is unlikely. It's tough. Yeah, angles are tough. I, I would say the downward angle is the toughest for me. And so a few things come into play. One is getting an accurate range because we're looking steep up. Steep down isn't too hard, but steep up is hard to get a range. Um, and then the the second thing is if you don't have your parallax set on your scope, that's the left dial generally, that the focus on the scope. If you don't have that set, then if you were to change your head position, you know, you scoot your head up, down, left, right, a little bit on the scope, especially because now we have the gun angled at a crazy angle. So your head may not be at the same Mm -hmm. place looking into the scope. 
If the parallax isn't set properly, we get parallax error, where it looks like the crosshairs are pointed to something, but if you move your head, the crosshairs move too, and the crosshairs are no longer pointed to that thing. So generally, it doesn't really matter what your head position is as long as the parallax is perfect. But if you don't set the parallax perfect, whoops, that's where we can get them to. Wow. How much preparation does Michael have? Well, I mean, he's known about this for a couple months. This seems nearly impossible. It is. And that's, I guess that was the point. (laughs) (laughs) The point is no one can do it. No one can make a hundred shots out of a hundred. Well, Michael, I want to see you do it. I want him to. If he could do it, honestly, I would be thrilled. I'd be thrilled. That would be just awesome to witness. That would be pretty cool. Okay. Wow. I'm impressed. Well, what do you, what would you suggest that he, to give him the best advantage, what do you, what kind of gear or what kind of advice would you give him? Well, let's talk about cartridge first. So in general, for shooting competitions, everybody's shooting the lightest cartridge that is even reasonable for that distance. So, you know, PRS, whatever, everybody's shooting a six GT. So six millimeter cartridge or 243 diameter. So smaller than a six, five Creedmoor even mm-hmm. it's a smaller bullet. You know, they're shooting a six, five Creedmoor might shoot a 140 grain bullet. They're usually shooting a one Oh five burger. So a much smaller bullet. What's a burger? Uh, it's a brand bullet. Oh, and they're shooting it slower. Uh, well, no. They're shooting about this about the same speed. Actually, maybe even a tiny bit faster. I was wrong about that. But it's it's a much lighter bullet. And so the reason that they're shooting the lightest cartridge possible is because they want to be able to spot your impact. So if I shoot at 500 yards and I miss, I want to know where I missed so that I can correct on the next one, which is further evidence of why this is I like I can. I could guarantee you he's not going to make 100 out of 100 because that's why they shoot light cartridges in competition because they do miss and they want to be able to spot the impact. Mm. And and so, but in this case, as soon as you miss, it's over, right? Right, 100%. And, that's hard. Right, we're going for 100%. And Wait, so- what is he thinking? I don't understand. <laughs> my hope is he's just a cool dude and he's just, you know- He just wants to come have fun. Love yeah, you, just it. having some fun, yeah. <laughs> My hope is that that's what the case. Anyway, so I think if I were shooting this, I'd probably go 7 PRC, maybe 6.5 PRC. Just depends on what you can get a rifle to shoot the most accurately. I guess I should I should have a little caveat, though, because I said they're shooting the lightest cartridges possible in competition. There are a couple of exceptions. For example, F-Class at 1,000 yards, they're shooting essentially a 7 PRC. Most of them are shooting a 6.5 PR or a 7 PRCW, which is a 6.5 PRC that they just cram a big 7 millimeter bullet in. But that's for some other weird reasons. Really, it's a 7 PRC that they're shooting. And so the reason that they do it is because when you're shooting at a thousand yards, you have enough time for the gun to get jostled and for you to correct, get back on the target and see where it splashes because there's a long time of flight for that bullet, right? Mm-hmm. But it's harder to spot your impact at 300 than it is 1,000 because at 1,000, you have time for the scope jostle to end. When you say those numbers, are they the size of the cartridge? Because you said they cram in a big bullet. Yeah. Yeah, so it's the diameter of the bore of the barrel 
which is also the same thing as the diameter of the bullet, the actual projectile bullet. Wait, so how would they cram a, a bigger bullet into the neck? They just space out the neck. They get an expander and oh. spread out the neck to go to a seven millimeter bullet in the same case as a 6.5 PRC. Oh, and the reason I, I glossed over it, but if, if people are interested, the reason that they're using a 6.5 PRC and spreading it out is because, well, first of all, it became popular before the 7 PRC existed. But the second reason that they're doing it is they're using crazy long barrels, you know, 30 inches and above. And because they're crazy long barrels, they're actually getting the exact same velocity as the 7 PRC but in a smaller case with smaller capacity. And so it doesn't rock them as much, but then they can get the same performance as a 7 PRC. Oh, I don't understand the science behind that. <laughs> what about- The longer your barrel is, the faster the same cartridge is going to shoot. How about the, the grain? What, did the, what does the grain do to affect the bullet? So how many grains the bullet weighs uh, is- generally how long the bullet is is with the grain weight it has something to do with the shape they pick too but in general it's it's how long that bullet is okay because it, it can't go any wider right it's it can only go to the diameter of the board of the barrel and it's all lead in there i mean a little bit of change in how thick the copper jacket is can change the weight but in general the shape is relatively fixed because they want something aerodynamic and the jacket thickness they've decided for other engineering reasons and so in general when a bullet is heavier than another it means it's a longer bullet than another when you reload people can put more grain into the cartridge what more grains of gunpowder Yes, and those are two different things? Well, grains is just a measurement. So the okay. grain weight of the bullet or how many grains of powder you put in there. Oh, okay. Well, how how does the grain gunpowder affect the bullet? Because you could put more or less in it and it can get dangerous or not work. Right. So generally, so you're going to put in general, you're going to put about 95% as much gunpowder in there as you can before the pressure gets too high and it gets, you know, to dangerous levels. So most of them, most cartridges, oh, they're about 95% full. If you shake them next to your ear, you can hear the gunpowder moving around a little bit. Now, you can go less. You can download a cartridge. You can put less gunpowder in there, but only to a point. Uh, this is a little bit of a... Uh, odd deal, but if you actually get too little gunpowder in there, it actually became becomes quite dangerous for two reasons. One is if there's not enough gunpowder, if there's enough gunpowder to, to go pop, but not enough gunpowder to send the bullet out, mm -hmm. then we have a bullet lodged in the barrel and you may not know there's a bullet lodged in the barrel. Oh. Then you load in a second one and kablooey. It would, what, what would it do? Would yeah. it blow up the barrel? The barrel explodes out the side and you probably lose an eye. That's pretty creepy, right? It is creepy. So that's called a squib load. And so it, it, it often happens with a, an inexperienced shooter They'll shoot and they're like, that fun. It felt funny. There wasn't enough recoil. Uh, you know, I, I didn't see an impact on the target. Just felt weird, sounded weird. 
Oh, whatever. Load another one. And whoops. <laughs> That's why. Really? They just think that the gun just misfired or something and then the bullet's in the right place. And so they. Yeah. Wait, what? Is... That doesn't make sense. Because why would they put another bullet in there if they thought that the bullet didn't come or the cartridge didn't come out? I think they're just not not thinking it through. It will especially can happen on semi-autos like an AR or something like that. You're just going through a mag and all of a sudden something was weird, you know? Uh so anyway, it can happen. I've never had a squib load. I don't think I've ever even seen somebody do it in person. Heard of a lot of people, uh, seen it on video, but I've never seen it in person. But the people we're talking to right now, they know about your dangerous bucket. <laughs> <laughs> I that freaks me out that you even have that. What are you? What is your plan for that dangerous bucket? Oh, all right. In my reloading room, I do not show this on the how to reload videos. I So sometimes you make a load and you screw something up and it's a dangerous round, right? You, whatever, the bullet's way too long. You crimped the bullet on way too hard, something like that. You didn't trim enough and it's going to hit in the chamber. You put a double charge in a handgun load, whatever. You screwed something up and you're like, dang it. This is, you know, can't shoot this one. The right thing to do is to pull the bullet right away so it can't be shot and mm-hmm. just take apart the components, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's inconvenient. So when, <laughs> when you're reloading because you're trying to move and I don't want to bring out the bullet puller. And sometimes I did it to 10 and I'm like, honestly, I'd rather just throw these away because I'm just using cheap components, whatever, um, than pull all those bullets and stuff. But I don't want to put it in the trash. They say you're not supposed to put a live round in the trash. I don't know if it... Anyway, so I don't know what to do with that thing. And so I decided I was going to make the bucket that is clearly labeled, if you shoot this, it it will kill you. There are no words on that bucket. No, I labeled it. I know about it because you told me about it and it's underneath the table. It is underneath the table, but I put a a piece of tape on it that says, if you shoot this, it will kill you. No, I can guarantee that is not on that bucket. I will explain that you go check the bucket. (laughs) Okay, family feud. Family feud. Let's move on. (laughs) No, really, you should check the bucket because I want to know if I'm crazy. Anyway, that's what I labeled it. And I thought, that's very unsafe to have a bucket of bad ammo. And so I was going on Amazon... This is my thought process. <laughs> I was going on Amazon and I was going to buy one of those sharps containers, you know, that you put like used yes. needles in. And I thought, oh, that'd be kind of cool to have in your gun room. And when you get a bad ammo, you just put it in the sharps container, then nobody's going to open it. And I was going to buy it. And then I was like, you know what? Maybe this is just like how, um, what's the, um, Maybe that this is just like a Darwin way to die, right? Like maybe if I take a ammo from the bucket that says, if you shoot this, it will kill you. And I do, I deserve to be wiped out of the gene pool. And so I decided I was just going to keep the bucket there under there. And if I was ever dumb enough to grab it, maybe you deserve to be wiped out of the gene <laughs> Jim! no we have to protect you Garrett knowing this now how does that change your opinion of Jim (sighs) how does it change my opinion yes do you think he's just stupid I mean mean, if it's labeled 
It isn't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going to go check after this, and you might make me buy a sharpskin container. Let's show it on or the video. The it's going to be a little Easter egg for those of you who have heard the <laughs> podcast. Yeah, we'll just show it on video. We oh, won't goodness. say anything about it on YouTube. We'll just like little B-roll, just show it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. But now that we have employees, okay, we should probably get the sharp skin. Right, or we should just pull those bullets and I'll be better. I'll be better. Okay. Well, I did have one last question before we move on to whatever Garrett wanted to talk about next. But the gr- uh, how it says the grain weight on the box of ammo, what? part of grain is it talking about that's how many grains the bullet weighs they don't tell you how much powder's in there oh they'll tell you the velocity and they just openly lie about the velocity as far as i know every company is lying about the velocity some are better than others actually that would be a pretty sweet video that i thought about doing one day i don't know if it would get clicks but i would be interested um is just how bad do the ammo companies lie and we buy a couple boxes. Well, we don't even need to. We have a, you know ammo from a bunch of different manufacturers. Check the velocity, and we just check the real velocity that you get, and check the real BC that you get, and not what they advertise on the box, and just see which companies were more honest and which were not honest about the velocity in the BC. So the box. powder inside the bullet will determine how fast the bullet moves. Yeah, and you have to check because most of the velocities on the box are based on a 26-inch barrel, but most hunting rifles are shorter than that, shorter barrels. And so you will usually get a slower velocity than what the box says just because of the difference in barrel life, but even if you take or barrel length, but if even if you take that into account, they're they're a little Pinocchio. Okay. And I was using the wrong terminology for that. I'm still just trying to remember the right words for things, but I was saying bullet when I meant cartridge and vice versa. No, it's awesome. I I think people really appreciate you asking those questions. I think that's good. You know, I, okay. So I, I didn't totally finish my thought because (laughs) we had to talk about the bullet that, or the bucket that if you shoot this, you will die bucket. Anyway. So I said that if you have too little powder, it's dangerous because the bullet may not get out of the barrel. There's another reason that it can be dangerous to have too little powder in there. And I don't understand all the engineering stuff of it, but essentially there's a, there's more air capacity in there than there should be. And so we detonate the powder and something about having that space in there makes it so that it goes kablooey. There's, there's too much space. It, the powder you need to have a certain fill in the in the case for it to be safe. Mm. Uh, and that's why, so when, when the manufacturers in a reloading manual, a lot of people look at it and they're like, well, I understand why there's a maximum load. You can't just have too much gunpowder in there. But I've heard of people ignoring the starting load and just saying, oh, we can download it lower. And they don't realize that actually having l- too little powder in there is pretty dangerous Mm. and i know not everybody listening is into the reloading stuff i it's just interesting to me to kind of know what's happening inside of that cartridge bullet powder and all of that because it makes me feel safer when i'm using the gun to be able to know like what i'm even using or the precautions to take or what dangerous things can happen and anyway we should, yeah, we should, uh, I wish we could do more reloading on YouTube, but we can do it in Backfire Plus, so 
we should do some reloading videos together. Um, yeah, that'd be cool. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so we were talking about how we would prepare for this if we were Michael the Marine mm. uh, coming to do this. Um, I, I, to me, you've if there's not a tripod and an arc array, if if he doesn't bring a tripod and an arc array, woo, this is gonna be tough, tough. Uh, because as soon as we get a position that isn't prone, he's gonna be stuck, right? Yep. You know, if he tries to just shoot off a backpack or something at 500 yards, eh, that's gonna be rough. Now. Uh, the shots are out to 600 yards. I don't think we need to make all the shots 600 yards. You know, I, I think it'd be cool to have a variety of different distances that he's shooting right. up right. to 600 yards. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but the other stability, you know, hi, uh, you know, s- sitting, kneeling, leaning on a backpack kind of stuff, that's fine out to a little bit, but eventually it's just not enough uh, to get steady. In fact, that happened when we were, hunting oh three weeks ago i guess garrett the first time we were up on those on those elk and we we couldn't get them in the camera and the gun at the same time my crosshairs on several of them were just wobbling too much and so what most people say is whatever your wobble zone is wherever the reticle is just naturally wobbling as you're waiting to take the shot whatever that wobble zone is is where you're you're safe to shoot you know if that wobble zone is on vitals you're set but if you're wobbling and sometimes it's on the vitals and parts of the wobble are not on the vitals then don't pull the trigger i take it a little bit further than that and i say half the size of your or you need to be half the size let's see double the size of your wobble should still be on vitals if i'm gonna pull the trigger uh, Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. And that's interesting to me because I have a hard time with that when I'm trying to shoot. Maybe because I have really horrible eyesight. And I'd be curious to know also if what Michael, if he has good eyesight or not. But um, that prohibits me from doing really like getting those hairs really steady on there or being being able to see clearly like it always just feels fuzzy when i'm looking through the scope okay now interesting does the it does the image of the target look blurry or does the 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 reticle the crosshairs look blurry or both um well the image that not the crosshairs okay so if the if the target looks blurry, then that's your parallax, that left wheel on the scope. You need to just refocus. Oh. And that could happen if I if I sit down on the gun and I get it set and then I hand it to you, you're almost certainly gonna have to change the parallax a little bit um for your for you because my eyes are pretty deep set and so I have to set a scope a little bit different than most people. Oh. And I didn't realize well but that's okay to still shoot when you're still wobbling cuz I would always I I never can get it steady and maybe that's yeah. normal. Yeah, it's always going to wobble, so that's totally normal. The issue is can we we need to make the wobble that if you were to double the size of the wobble, you're still okay with that amount of error. Huh, I'm gonna like shoot more shoot more cartridges then. <laughs> 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 I've been holding back, waiting till I got right on the bullseye. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm curious, Jim. Um 
you know, we're putting Michael through this little trial of of fire, I guess. You know, 100 shots he's got to make. If if you were given the same opportunity and you had to make at least as close to 100 out of 100 shots as you could from 600 yards, like what what are, what's the gun you would use? What cartridge would you use? All that kind of stuff. I think uh, for my specific rifles that I have, I'd take the Fierce Mountain Reaper 6.5 PRC. Okay. And the reason I'd pick that is that's a half MOA gun. Uh, I'd say somewhere between a half and three quarters um, is the the accuracy of that gun. Very, very good. Good enough to to do this. And so at 600 yards, that's going to be shooting a a three-inch circle. Right. If I if if I do everything perfectly, we're going to be within a three inch circle with that gun. Okay, we're good there. And then it has Arca at the bottom that I can attach to a tripod. The negative to that gun is it's very lightweight. And if I wanted to just win this, boy, having a heavier rifle is a big advantage because it just sits dead. Yep. You know, when you plunk it on a backpack, it just sits flat. That wobble zone just shrinks way up. And so if I were picking something that's a true hunting rifle that I just know is accurate and has I'd, something that I know is accurate, fits me, and has good attachment points would be what I would be looking for. If I were trying to cheat, I would pick the Bagara Premier Competition. It's a 15-pound gun. It's huge advantage to be able to shoot something like that. It just sits way more dead. But and you wouldn't take that on a real hunt. No, too heavy. No way. In fact, it's not even legal to hunt with a rifle that heavy in some states. Oh. Like Idaho has a limit. I, If I recall, it's like 13 pounds. That's You can't hunt with a rifle heavier than 13 pounds. 13 is pretty heavy. Yeah, that's a pretty pretty portly rifle. Do we know what Michael's bringing? I don't know. No idea. No idea. Hmm. I've never even spoken to the dude. So I, I'm, I hope he takes it, you know, for what it was, hunting. Mm-hmm. But even if not, it, it's, I, I think even if he didn't, he were brought a full competition set up, this is still going to be quite the challenge. Yep. And you think that's enough, those couple of things that you said, the Arcarel and the... Yeah, I'd go tripod, bipod, backpack. Um, I probably wouldn't do two tripods, but a lot of people would because sometimes you want to attach your gun to a tripod and then you use another tripod that you put under your shoulder, your armpit, and that can really help stabilize things. The problem with a two tripod setup is if there's a timer at all, it's just way unreasonable mm. to, to get it set up. But there are some positions that you could realistically shoot out to well past a thousand standing if I have two tripods to do it. Because, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you can get pretty steady if you put something under your elbow. That, and so that's what I would, for me, I think would be the number one consideration when you get up to each spot is most people are focused on what do I put the gun on? And usually that's pretty straightforward. We have tools for that. But the question I'd have in every position is how do I get my sh- the rear of the gun to be steady? That's the hard part. If the front is steady on a bipod or something and you're just holding up the back or just sh- holding it with your hand, something like that, it's just generally not steady enough. Hmm. Jim, sometimes you scare me because you are so 
knowledgeable about this stuff that I think, whoa, if you got roped into something bad, you would be deadly. I I just think about all those you. movies. <laughs> I just think about the movies with the snipers, and I think that could be Jim. I no, he- what? What are you saying? Not that. No, like you're just so good at it, and the they're the the military people are so good at their job. Oh, I'm I'm competent in this stuff. Some people are crazy good. Some people are crazy good. Oh, I don't know. I think, uh, wow, you impress me. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I think. <laughs> anyway, so I think that's I think that's kind of the setup that I would go. Mostly just focused on support. Also, some kind of rear bag is going to be necessary. I think a sandbag is not fair for a hunting situation, but some kind of light fill bag would would be pretty key for this. And I, you know, take a hunting backpack for sure. Often if I just throw, you know, a couple meals and a hunting backpack and a water purifier or whatever, I'm just going to hike around for the day and then come back to camp. The bag's too flat. My backpack's too flat and you can't really shoot off it very well. And so I cram a few jackets in the bag, even if I'm just going out hunting for the day. And so for this, for sure, I'd bring a backpack to use as a rest to put under my arm and uh, fill it with, fill it with jackets and stuff. Mm. Definitely helps. Cool. Okay, so it's going to be interesting. And then the other thing we're going to have to decide, and I really would like everybody's feedback, especially on this part about what to do with Michael the Marine here, is time, is what's a fair amount of time to give him on every shot. Because again, if you got all day, okay, you stand up even, you stand a very good chance of doing this. But what's a reasonable amount of time for what this was originally a hunting situation? Mm hmm. And so maybe that's where the dice is is nice, ha, is that we could roll the dice and it's, you know, sometimes he gets 45 seconds, sometimes he gets two minutes, just because it does depend in a hunting situation. Sometimes, hey, it's walking over the ridge, you got to hurry and shoot something. And other times, you know, you got all day. It's just feeding there in the meadow. <laughs> and so it, I, I don't know what's fair amount of time to give him to to take a shot mm-hmm. on each stage yeah gonna be interesting uh i just wanted to mention a couple other or really just maybe one other thing i have a gun that i'm working with that is weirdly inaccurate and it's a bagara mg light bagara premier mg light um the i have several guns from the bagara premier series that are amazing, amazingly good. I Something is up with this one. It's just not shooting right. And so talk to Bagara, and they shoot their Premier Series rifles before they send them out. And so they have data on their Premier Series rifles to know how it's shooting before they send them out. It's pretty cool. And so they shot three successive groups, three consecutive. I yeah, I can't um, remember the number they gave. But anyway... Point three, point six, point five, something like that. They shot it well. Yeah, and consecutive groups. Okay, that you know, this is a good rifle. Yeah, and that's that's what we should see from the Bagar Premier series. They're very good guns. Anyway, this is shooting two and three inch groups sometimes, and so something is up with this gun. I don't know what 
could have happened between manufacturer and here, but I, so I shot it, you know, of course, checked everything that you would normally want to check. I, you know, tighten, torque down every single screw, action screws, everything on the scope. That's the first thing is, did I scope this right? And so I checked over everything, still having problems. And I really didn't want to be the boy who cried wolf. And so I completely removed the whole scope and rings, everything, re-scoped it. And I went out and shot. And I, after talking with them, they had tested with 180 grain, seven uh, PRC match. And so See, now I know what that means. Yeah. Anyway. So, um, yeah, having tested the exact one, now I'm using that exact same and it's still not shooting. Hmm. And so anyway, um, they wanted me to shoot it on a chronograph and see if there's something weird with the ammo, uh, since it is Hornady ammo. And so I, I just housekeeping note, I guess Hornady ammo is some of the better ammo in the market, not the best, but some of the better ammo out there. But the lot-to-lot variation can be terrible on Hornady ammo. And so when you're buying ammo, if you're buying Hornady ammo, strong recommendation to go to a store and save up your pennies. I know it's expensive. And buy like a lot all at once. A lot. (laughs) Because they'll all be from the same lot of of ammo the same batch in fact you can check on the box it'll tell you the lot number just to make sure everything from the store is the same lot but they generally would be it's right on the label under where it says your velocity and stuff it'll say your lot number and so you know if you're buying hornady ammo that's just my recommendation oh look two two different different lot numbers i bought these on the same day wow interesting um anyway that's just my recommendation with hornady ammo if you know your gun likes it and you're, you know, you're going to be buying, buying more of it anyway, um, you know, go buy several hundred rounds mm-hmm. and just stock up on it, get it all from the same lot. Um, and, and that's not even, I'm not talking about, you know, tiny variations between lot that you might lose a tiny bit of accuracy. I'm talking big differences <laughs> between, between lots. Um, and sometimes you just get a bad batch and I've had several bad batches from Hornady over the last year or two, like more than five mm-hmm. where like they were going way over pressure. It was a lot faster than the other boxes, just weird stuff going on. It happens regularly hmm. anyway. So that's my recommendation. Uh, I, I like Hornady ammo, but just, just buy a bunch of it at once. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good tip. Good tip. All right. Thanks, everybody, for joining us on this episode of the Backfire Mancast. We'll see you in the next one. Bye.